Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Well, I'm very excited about this series in the Bible. I got asked by a friend recently, they said, do you ever get tired of the fact that people always ask you to talk about the Bible? Do you ever want diversity? And I was like, no, I love talking about the Bible. So I'm very excited um, to make sure everyone tunes in and engages. I have got show and tell today. Um, worship team, thank you so much. You can grab a seat. Can we give the worship team at all our campuses a big hand? You all should be very thankful it's not me with a microphone during worship it would be a very different experience. Show and tell, show and tell. Uh, this is a Bible that I received a couple of months ago. Uh, it is over 100 years old now. It belonged to my great-grandfather and given to him by his grandmother, who is my great-great-great-grandmother. I think I've got that right. By now I should have that right. Uh, we've actually got a picture we can put on the screens if we haven't done that yet, um, so you can see a little more detail, especially at the campuses. Uh, so the Bible was given in 1912. I have no idea when it was printed before that. But there's a story to this Bible. Uh, you see, my great-grandfather was born in Scotland, uh, actually in a little place called Pitroddy, which, no matter how I say that, just doesn't sound right, but as soon as you put it in a Scottish accent, Pitroddy, <laughs> just sounds so much more authentic. Um, I've had a chance to actually be there. It's tiny. It's not a blink and you miss it. It's like less than that. You, you have to like glue your eyelids open to see it. It's tiny. You grew up in this little place called Pitrodi, uh, Matthew Gloag Will. And then he decided to move to Australia. Now, his grandmother didn't know whether she would ever see him again from this moment. This wasn't a time where this is 1912. There's no commercial flights. Uh, things are a lot more expensive. They were two years away from heading into World War I, so the, the atmosphere around the globe at that time was very uncertain. And I can imagine her reaction when she heard that her grandson was going to move to Australia. You've got to keep in mind, this is Scotland over 100 years ago. I can imagine she was like wondering about Australia, like, Matthew, that's where the English sent their prisoners. Like, why would he want to leave, like, the rugged Scottish highlands, the consistently grey weather, the <laughs> deep-fried Mars bars, whatever, whatever was going on in Scotland back then? Why would he want to leave all that to move to a country halfway around the world? Um, very different world. And so she could have really given him anything in this moment to walk with him. Like, knowing that there, was no going to be, there wasn't going to be the opportunity to see in person anymore, knowing that this was really her final moment to invest something into his life. And what she chose to give him, what she chose to give him was that Bible. In fact, I think we've got a photo on the front where she, we've put the um, inscription up, if we've got that, to Matthew from Granny, um, with love and best wishes, and said, the Lord watch over thee and bless thee. Now, there is a second inscription in the, in the Bible, and there's another bit of writing in the Bible but you have to come back next week for that one. <laughs> I know how this works. Uh, you got to come back next week for that one. But by the way, thank you for laughing. I walked in this morning before prayer meeting and a couple of our church kids, our incredible church kids were there. And one of them was like, I heard you're speaking this morning. I said, that's true. I said, should I be funny? And they went, yes. 
I'm like, great. And then one of them said, oh, I'm going to ask my mum afterwards to see if you were funny. <laughs> so Pastor Aaron, if you can just pass that on for me, I'd really, repeat, I'd really appreciate that. That'd be great. Not as good as when they were putting... Our kids, they're amazing, these kids. They were putting flyers in all the backs of your seats today to make sure that everything was sorted. And I was like, oh, are you being paid for that as a joke? And I was like, how much do you think you should be paid for that? One child said a hot chocolate. The other child said $500. So <laughs> dream big, friends, dream big. Okay, let's talk about the Bible. Why the Bible? You know, the Bible is hard to ignore when you look throughout history. It is by far the most distributed book ever in all of history. In fact, the British and Foreign Bible Society in 2001, which is 20 years ago, estimated between five to seven billion copies of the Bible have been sold throughout history. That's just what they can measure. That was 20 years ago, five to seven billion. That's, one, that's almost one for every single person on earth today. Uh, the United Bible Societies uh, did an investigation into how many different languages the Bible has been translated in, either in full or in part, and they came to a figure of 3,324 languages the Bible's been translated into. For the last 2,000 years, it has helped shape laws. It's inspired art and architecture. There are still buildings today uh, that speak to this book. It sparked revolutions. The Bible was one of the key factors that um, precipitated the end of slavery throughout the British Empire. If you look at the story of William Wilberforce and the, the Clapham sect, uh, even here in Aotearoa, uh, the Bible and its teaching helped stop the cycle of Utu amongst the Māori people. It's an incredibly influential book. And more than that, people have given their lives to this book. People have literally given their lives to translate this book, to be able to pass it on to other people. Uh, there are still people today in countries around the world where this book is illegal and to own it is actually endangering your own life. And yet people continue to do that. What is it about this book? And you may be here this morning thinking, I've been reading my Bible for my entire life, I'm good with it. Or you may be here this morning and be like, I've got to be honest, I'm sceptical. I'm doubtful. Why would you rely on something that's thousands of years old? Why would you rely on something that had to be written down? Well, let's talk about it this morning. We don't need to shy away from these questions as Christians. Let's talk about uh, the Bible. So the first thing we should probably start with is, what is it? Uh, it's uh, the word... Here's a little factoid for you. The word Bible comes from the word biblion, literally just means book. So the Bible in Greek is actually just the book. But it is in fact comprised of 66 different books. We've got 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Uh, it was written approximately 1,500 years. So from when the first books are written down to the last, Revelation is probably the last written, 1,500 years, which is a pretty big time space. You think about how much has changed in our world over 1,500 years. Uh, it's written in three different languages. There is, Old Testament is predominantly Hebrew, uh, with a little bit of Aramaic. We get a little bit of Aramaic in the New Testament too, things like when Jesus on the cross says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that's a bit of Aramaic. But the New Testament is largely Greek. So three different languages, estimated to be written around approximately three different continents. I can't figure out what part was written in Africa, but I'll roll with what they say. Uh, 1,500 years, it's written in multiple styles and genres. I don't know how many of you have opened your Bible and you start reading one book and you flick to the next and you're like, well, that's a shift. Uh, we've got historical accounts in there. We've got cosmic revelations. We've got letters. We've got songs. We've got Song of Songs, which if you haven't read before, good luck with that. That's, that's a wild time. 
there's warnings and encouragements. And yet for all this diversity of authorship and time and space and languages and everything else, it all combines to share one clear focus. An eternal God who created us, loves us, and has initiated our redemption. I remember being in university, I'll tell a little bit more about this later, but I remember being in university in my final semester, and um, I went, you know, when I came to university, I thought, well, how can I study the most useful degree possible? How can I earn the biggest wage in the future? And so I majored in creative writing. <laughs> True story. True story. Creative writing. But I uh, did a sub-major in literature and cultural studies, which ended up being the best precursor to coming into Bible study. Um, but I remember being in a tutorial once, and they were talking about, like, you know, what kind of books you like reading. And for some reason, the tutor said, is there any book, you know, you wouldn't ever read? And one guy put his hand up and goes, I'd never read the Bible. That thing is so boring. And at the time, I was a bit, like, you know, kind of caught unaware and a bit taken aback. I was like, oh, that's, oh, I wouldn't say that. Now I'd be like, bro, if there's one thing the Bible is not as boring... Let me give you a couple of books, a couple of recommendations. Um, this book is fascinating. It continues to fascinate. It continues to inspire so much thought today. So if we're going to embrace it and we're going to make the most of it, I think there's two key questions we need to ask. First of all, is it trustworthy? Is it actually trustworthy? Is it just something that some Christians thought was a nice idea and some, had some nice moments to it and we've kind of just run with it without thinking? Is it actually trustworthy? And secondly, is it relevant? If we can answer those two questions, that is going to position us in a whole different way to how we approach the Bible. So I hope you're with me, South and North, Adelaide and online. First of all, is it trustworthy? Well, look, there's a bit of a historical method we can apply to texts from the past, writings from the past, to kind of figure out whether we should trust them or not. Let me use a modern analogy. In, I think it was last week in Sydney at Taronga Zoo, that's Taronga Zoo, by the way, not Taronga Zoo. Um, I actually was, I was like, I think this morning, I'm like, what would Taronga Zoo actually look like? I couldn't get past seagulls. I figured that would be... And you know what? Taronga Zoo would have like six seagulls and five of them would have been from Auckland originally. <laughs> I'll stand by that. No, Taronga Zoo. Taronga Zoo last week, uh, a couple of lions escaped the pen, which... Like, I think like Jurassic Park, like the moment when the T-Rex gets out, you imagine coming to work, you wouldn't need your coffee that morning, you know, and these lions just prowling around. Thankfully, they got them back inside, Mufasa, Simba, the whole crew, all got back, back inside. But can you imagine today that an, a baby elephant escapes from Auckland Zoo, and it tries to hitch its way to north and south, but nobody wants to pick it up, so it goes, you know what, I'll, I'll come to Central. And so it wanders down Great North Road and comes into the car park, past our car park team who are frantically trying to point it to a car park, but it won't respond. Somehow manages to squeeze through these doors, walk up the front here. Maybe it picks up one of our connection passes. They're looking a little bit sleepy, gives them a bit of a shake. Uh, side note, apparently elephants think of humans the same way we think of dogs. Like apparently they find us really cute and like just want to look, look after us and pat us and stuff. Wild, hey, I don't want to test that out, but just... So, you know, if, if you're having a hard week this week, you're feeling a little low about yourself, just remind yourself, hey, an elephant thinks I'm cute. That, that can be your mantra. So I'm getting distracted. Okay. So they say this baby elephant gets in here 100 years' time from now. 100 years' time. The year 2,122, I think I got that right. My university degree wasn't in maths, as you can tell, but 100 years from now. A descendant of yours hears this story about this baby elephant who escaped the 
escaped the zoo and ended up in church, how would they know it was true? How would they know that actually happened? And there are three tests we can kind of apply to a story like that to find if it's true, and we can do the same three things with the Bible. The first thing we want to ask is, is it grounded in history? And the Bible is grounded in history. Now, if, you heard a, if your ancestor heard a story 100 years from now that was about this elephant who really wanted to be a painter and it wished upon a star and a fairy came down and unlocked the cage magically and then it rode on a magic carpet to a church building where unicorns were leading worship. Creative writing, like I mentioned. Uh, you would immediately go, oh, yep, that's a fairy tale. That's a story just meant to entertain, to amuse, etc. But if you heard that at 8.23, on a Sunday morning, an enclosure was left unlocked, baby elephant escaped, it walked down Great North Road, it entered 25 Normanby Road, etc., etc., the Eagle police chopper was overhead trying to track it so they could return it, you would give that a little more credence because it's obviously written as fact. Well, in the same way, the Bible does not represent itself as fiction. If we were to try and dismiss the Bible as, well, it's just a bit of fiction, and it's just, it's, it, it doesn't pretend to be that. In fact, it's quite clear that it is intended as fact. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, for example. Luke chapter 1, we believe Luke was a doctor, um, and doctors never make anything up. They're very trustworthy people. Please look after me, doctors. You earn a lot more than me. Okay, Luke chapter one uh, says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that had been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Did you catch some of that? Eyewitnesses, investigated, ordered, ordered report. You would know the certainty of the things that have been taught. The Bible is deliberately written in a factual way. Now, there are moments of fiction in there, like when Jesus tells a parable. We don't think that those actually happened. But by and large, it's representing itself as fact. And here's the cool thing. Uh, we can see how it plays out in history. Uh, people from the Bible are referenced in other historical books. Pontius Pilate is well documented. Uh, Felix, the governor, is well represented. Jesus is talked about in other texts. It's somewhere, I'm, I'm going to, uh, can't remember the exact empire as part of, but there's even references now to King David in another empire as text of the time. The places are also real. I've had the opportunity, uh, actually 2019, I managed to, I had a bucket list trip that I wanted to do to the New Testament destinations Yes, I am a Bible nerd. That was my number one. I was like, forget the beaches. Take me to some old place with lots of ruins. Um, and managed to actually stand in some of these places. I've been to Corinth and Laodicea where, where Paul wrote epistles. I've stood in the city of Dan from the Old Testament where there are still the roads and the walls of some of their old settlement. Um, where else have I been? Greece throughout Turkey, been to some of the churches, seen the Western Wall, which is all that remains of the temple from Jesus' day. Like, historically, these places still exist. And so let me suggest that if we're going to start by trying to dismiss the Bible as well, it's just kind of like a nice fable to be written. The Bible's not interested in presenting itself that way. So the first question we've got to figure out is, is it 
trustworthy in regards to is it grounded in history, which the Bible is. Okay, so let's move on then. The second thing, not only is it grounded in history, but secondly, it relies on a multitude of witnesses. It relies on a multitude of witnesses. If you, we've probably all got that family member. Don't Please don't point to anyone, look at anyone, text to anyone. We've probably all got a family member who's known for some pretty tall tales. Likes to kind of exaggerate things about that time where, you know, they're the, they're the family member who was like, when I was in school, I had to walk 50 kilometres every day in the freezing snow, being chased by a T-Rex, and I still got, you know, that, that person. Uh, but when a story is corroborated by others, it has a lot more credence. You think about a police investigation today, the police don't sit down with one person and say, tell us what happened. Great, case solved. Let's, uh, let's go have afternoon tea. They will speak to a number of witnesses to corroborate the facts. Our courts go through the same process. In the courts, there will be a multitude of witnesses to confirm a testimony. Well, in the same way, the Bible is corroborated by multiple witnesses. I know someone said to me a number of years ago, they said, well, how can I trust a Bible when it's been written by all these different people? That actually gives it a whole lot more credibility. Because if it all relied on one person saying, well, this is what happened and just trust me, everything relies on that person's character, their memory, their reliability, everything else. But if you have 40 different authors who have helped put words to paper over 1,500 years and it lines up, that bears witness to its validity. Now, in the, in the course of the Bible, we have... They write, like I said, in different genres and styles. Even the four Gospels. The four Gospel writers all emphasise different things. Matthew is more concerned, for example, with showing how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. John is, is more speaking to a, um, a cosmic perspective of Jesus from heaven down. Luke is, speaks more about the Holy Spirit. Mark is just trying to keep things simple. Uh, all four of them uh, have slightly different perspectives and emphases, but they all corroborate each other. If you think about you and your three friends trying to do a recap of what happened last weekend, um, you might end up with different stories, but hopefully the main facts will be the same. We see the same in the Bible. So first of all, it's grounded in history. Secondly, it relies on a multitude of witnesses. Thirdly, it has been faithfully passed down. Now, this is where we're going to get a little bit technical and some long words. So if you want to impress someone at lunch today, you can write down some of these words. Uh, how faithfully has something been passed down determines how much we can rely on it. So again, 100 years from now, baby elephant, you're hearing this story and you're like, and then the elephant grew wings and then it, you know, you'd be like, eh, is this like a bit of a whisper of a shadow of a story, of a report of a, how much has this changed over time? Well, we know with the Bible uh, that it has been passed down um, faithfully. As I mentioned, it's written in three different languages. That's why we have multiple translations because they're all trying to best express in English or any other language what the original languages say. Um, but we've actually got copies that date back a long time ago. So obviously you have to copy of a copy. Things originally were written down on parchment or papyrus or things that unfortunately disintegrate. And so what they would do is they would carefully copy one to another. Now, the concern that people have with the Bible then is, well, along the way, as they've copied from one parchment to another, how do we know they haven't changed the details? Well, there's a couple of things we, can, we know in here that help us, give us confidence. First of all, there are some ancient historians from back around the time of the Bible, before and after, uh, people like Pliny, Suetonius, Plato, who's a philosopher, etc., 
the, the ancient manuscripts are copies we have of their writings from way back then are in the single digits, so less than 10. But we rely on those to be historically accurate from that time. The earliest we can date back some of those manuscripts is seven, about 750 years after they were written. So we don't have it right back at the beginning, but we say, hey, over that 750 years, we trust with nine different copies or so that this has been faithfully passed down. I think the ancient text that has the most copies is Homer's Odyssey, from memory, about 500 copies, which is a whole lot more. Well, with the Bible, we have either, either part or full, um, sorry, either full or part um, copies of the New Testament in the number of over 5,600. So more than 10 times the copies of the Odyssey, for example. More than 5,600 manuscripts of the Bible. And the difference is the earliest one we have, one called the Rylands Library Papyrus P52. If anyone's going on Jeopardy or any game show anytime soon, you're welcome. The Rylands Library Papyrus P52. That, is, that copy that we have is less than 100 years after it was written. In fact, the oldest copy we have of the complete Bible, Old and New Testament, is called the Codex Sinaiticus, which we're going to put on the screen, uh, written in the original Greek. There it is. Tell you what, I'd be cross-eyed trying to read Greek, but that's what it looks like. Uh, that's dated somewhere around 325 AD, so less than 300 years after the Bible was completed. So we have not only copies that date back that far, but also what we have is this multitude of copies. Why is this important? Because if you received one manuscript, one copy of something from a long time ago, you've got to trust that that one copy has been faithfully written down. If you've got two and there's a slight difference between them, you won't actually know which one is correct. When you have more than 5,000, if there is an inconsistency or an inaccuracy, it's going to be immediately obvious because the other 5,000 won't show it. So when we have the Bible today, we're not like, well, we just hope it's been copied down correctly. We've got five, over 5,000 different manuscripts that together have helped support this. In fact, you may be aware of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1946, 1947, um, which were, were 2,000 years old and thankfully preserved in the desert, um, which directly line up with the Old Testament we have today. So it has been faithfully passed down to us. And in fact, when there are inconsistencies, they're usually actually noted in your footnotes in your Bible. So let me say to you, from what I've found in my own life, and again, I came into university hearing that the Bible was incorrect or wrong or whatever, we've got a lot of reason to trust it. But it's one thing to trust it, it's another thing to say, is it relevant? And here's a question I'd love to put out for you today. If you're like, I am lost with what you're talking about so far, please hear this. If there is a God who created all of humankind who wants to be in relationship with us, who has a plan and a purpose for us, and he has revealed himself to people who have written it down. This goes beyond being an interesting historical footnote to the most important text on the planet. If God can be known through how he has revealed himself to people, then that changes everything. You know, as we read the Bible, we discover it, uh, an eternal God who created the world and remains king over it today. The Bible tells us that God is holy. What does holy mean? It means set apart. He's not like anyone else. It tells us that we should reflect his character, that we were made in the image of God. That doesn't mean that God has brown hairs and a six foot two or anything else. It means that 
we have been designed to reflect his character and his personhood. It tells us that we have fallen away from him, that that reflection has been tarnished and that we have become corrupted, but it also tells us that he has initiated our redemption and sent his son for us. That changes everything. So we can question the Bible, and if you've got doubts out there, let me encourage you, just read it. Let it speak for itself. But as we come to it, understand the weight of what the Bible is representing. Let me give you three reasons why I believe the Bible is relevant to us today. First of all, it reveals the character of God. You know, in, the, in pagan times, before, well, bef, um, not before Christianity, but that was kind of very popular at the time of Christianity, a lot of the belief was around that there was multiple gods and you had to kind of please them all and if you didn't, they'd get mad at you and they would curse you and cause misfortune. And so the, the Romans, the Greeks, a whole bunch of people group at the time would go ahead and offer sacrifices and they would um, try and give certain offerings and say certain prayers and worship certain idols in the hope that if you could kind of just keep the gods happy for long enough, they'd look after you and they wouldn't do anything bad to you. You constantly lived on edge in this environment. Because what if you put a foot wrong, said a word wrong, forgot something, and the gods got mad at you? The Bible shows us a God who is completely different. He's powerful, but he's faithful. Our God is good. He's worthy. As we open the word and as we read, we discover this God who is incredibly compassionate and patient. And it's only through this word can we know him. You know, the Bible is such a gift Can you imagine how chaotic our faith would be if it relied on our personal feelings or emotions? Our best guesses. But instead we have in black and white how God has revealed himself throughout time. But not only does it reveal the character of God, but it reveals his heart towards us. It reveals his heart towards us. Our God doesn't grow weary. You know, when you've been God for all eternity, I'd I'd probably want like long service leave. I'd want a bit of a break, a siesta at least. But the Bible says that God does not grow weary. He doesn't grow tired. He isn't fickle. He's not, doesn't change, he doesn't have mood swings, he doesn't change his mind all the time. We don't know whether we're getting happy God or sad God when we wake up in the morning. We've got a consistent God. God isn't apathetic. He cares. Maybe this is someone today, but I think it was one Peter I was reading yesterday. It encourages us to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast your cares. Doesn't say, hey, offer them up and see if he takes it. Doesn't say, hey, maybe whisper them and see how God responds. It says, throw your cares at him because he cares for you. We know that from scripture. We know that from the Bible. So it reveals the character of God. It reveals his heart towards us. And thirdly, he speaks to us by it today. God is not done. The Bible did not finish being written and God sat back and went, oh well, cool. My magnus opus is done. I'll just wait for the royalties to kick on in. God didn't do that. He still speaks today. In fact, uh, Nicky Gumbel, who was a vicar in the UK, really um, one of the key people involved in taking the Alpha course Forward and making it is what it is. He says this, through the Bible, God has spoken, but also through the Bible, God still speaks. You know, I think back over my own life. I think about how integral this book has been for me. 
I still remember at the age of 18, this will probably surprise no one, but there was a state of origin night and I chose living in the heart of Queensland to do a Bible study. I know you're shocked. You're like, Ben, you weren't playing? I know. <laughs> and I remember opening to Isaiah 49 and being like electricity as I read that passage and felt God speak to me through that passage. I can remember times where I've been really low, going through depression and reading about how God's light will lead me out. I can think of times where I've been mad and had grudges against people and, and just wanted to hold on to it and reading about the importance of forgiveness that we should forgive because God first forgave us and it has directed my life and my behaviour. This book has seen me through the best and worst times of my life and changed the way I live. It's helped me know God, it's helped me better reflect him and it's helped me do what he did, but do what Jesus did. So can I encourage you, look, the Bible will not always be popular in our world today. Sometimes people think it's just offensive. Now I've got to tell you it was offensive at the time because it's audacious in its plan for our lives. It tells us to follow him above everything else. It tells us to live lives according to his plan and purpose, not our own. But it's good. And it shows us who God is. And look, empires throughout history have risen and fall, fallen. Philosophies come and philosophies go. The things we... Our mainstream culture today believes now we're not the same as 100 years ago, and I've got to tell you, it's going to change again. That's the pattern of history. We go in cycles, we go on the pendulum shifts back and forwards, we go up and down. Things don't stay the same for long. But this book for 2,000 years has helped people discover this God, to walk with Him, to discover that in Him we have a place to belong, that because of His goodness we have reason to believe and that we can build towards the eternity that he has for us. It speaks of a future beyond the control of this world. It speaks of a future of an eternity with him. It speaks to us of the relationship we can have with him. And can I encourage you, if there's nothing else you take away from today, it's this. God wants to meet you in these pages. You may think, man, I struggle to read. I opened the book of Leviticus and I got really confused. I, wrote, I opened the book of Song of Solomon and then I thought I should maybe put that away. Uh, true story, apparently in Jewish society back in the day, if you were an unmarried man, you couldn't read that till you were 30. <laughs> Teenage males, you live under a new covenant. Um, no, we find God through the pages of the Bible. And maybe you're here today or online, one of our campuses, and you're like, oh, I just find the Bible confusing. Start with the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest, it's only 16 chapters. But it tells us who Jesus is. It speaks of what he did, how he interacted with people like you and I, people who had doubts and got confused, had needs, had hopes, dreams, people trying to put it all together. We discover who our Jesus is through it. So can I encourage you? We're, tonight we're gonna to pick up the conversation a little bit differently. If you can be here tonight, can I encourage you to be here? I've got some friends coming. We're gonna talk a little bit more about why do we give the Bible authority in our lives? Next week again will be different. Just, just come for everything. Complete the set. Get the collection. Get, get your Thanos Infinity Gauntlet with all your Sunday stones on it. Um, do what you can to be here, but can I encourage you most of all, open up your Bible and let Him speak to you today. He will be found in the pages. Ask Him in. Say, God, will you help me understand you? Discover Him along the way. Let me pray for us, hey? Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. 
We thank you, God, that you reveal yourself, that you don't sit back and wait for us to be good enough. But God, proactively, you have used human hands to write down your inspiration, your God-breathed words. God, I pray for everyone who is listening to my voice today. That God, as they open their words, that they would discover you in it. That you would lead them and guide them. That you would help them see who you truly are. And God, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and you want to know us. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you were encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at any of our Auckland campuses. If you're not in Auckland, then check us out, Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifenz.org or download the Life app to stay connected and find out more.